Hey, welcome to our online sermons at Coastal Community Church. So glad that uh, you're checking these sermons out on our internet and, and on our website. And so I want to welcome you. And, and I do want to encourage you that these sermons, online sermons, should be a supplement to your spiritual growth. But one of the things that we're big believers in at Coastal Community Church and I uh, want to encourage you is to find a home church uh, where you can not only grow in teaching, but also grow in community with other believers. So if you don't have a home church near you and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to invite you to Coastal Community Church. We just recently moved uh, to 101 Village Avenue. We have two services, uh, 915 and 11, and we'd love for you to check out one of our services. I wanted to give you a beyond update, as you guys know. Um, 18 month ago, months ago, we, we started a campaign uh, that was the goal was to raise a million dollars over and above our regular giving. And in an 18-month period, in order for us to move into this building and pay off the contractors, and back in October, I, I kind of laid in front of you guys what kind of where we were and what we needed to do uh, by the end of the year to get there. And I just want to say that you guys uh, were responded with generosity and enthusiasm. And uh, as of the end of December, we raised $968,500 towards our Beyond campaign. So... Guys, you did an amazing job, and, uh, and so here's what that means. Let me, let me give it a little context. We actually, as a church, actually pledged $950,000, uh, and if you know anything about fundraising, uh, most fundraisers will tell you, hey, you're going to raise about 80% of what is pledged, and I said, I thought Coastal was better than that, and you guys actually met and exceeded your pledge amount, so thank you very, very much. Uh, I also said uh, back in October, I thought we needed to raise a million to pay off all our contractors. Uh, all of our contractors were kind enough to work. Actually, many of them gave us discounts because they wanted to bless the church, and so as of the end of December, uh, we met every financial obligation in time and uh, paid every bill and kept a good name for the gospel in the community. So great stuff, church. Thank you for your generosity. I pray the Lord blessed you uh, for your generosity. Um, so let me talk a little bit about, um, you know, what if you're sitting here and you're like, well, I haven't finished my pledge. What, what does that mean? Uh, so a couple things. First of all, if you remember, uh, we put 150000 that we financed into 2017. So those of you who are members and you voted on the general budget, that's in the general budget. And we're going to be uh, paying that back uh, over the course of 2017. So if you want to finish your pledge, uh, some of it will go to that. And, and I just want to kind of give you a big picture on that. My hope as the pastor, and I think the elders' hope, is that... Uh, that hundred and fifty thousand, the uh, plus interest that we're we're paying out for the build out over 2017. My hope is to keep that in the budget for future uh, to continue to pay down the debt on this building even faster. Does that make sense? And so and so that's really a, a vision of mine that I want to continue to move towards. If you haven't reached your pledge, what else will the money go to? And you want to continue? Uh, well, if you've been here on a rainy Sunday morning, uh, you know we have some leaks in our roof, right? And so we'd like to do some capital improvements this year. And uh, one of the capital improvements is to make sure that we really take care of the roof so that we take care of the asset that the Lord has given us. Um, the second thing that we want to do capital improvement-wise is we want to continue to beef up security around here. So we have a great security system in the children's area, uh, but we want to make this whole building a lot more secure. And so uh, that's a vision of ours. And so if you want to continue to meet your pledge, it'll go towards beefed up security around our building so that this is a safe place for the gospel to go forward, right? And, and, uh, and so that's important to us. And then 
And the third thing is, this is what we want to do by the end of the year, uh, Lord willing, if the resources are there, we, we want to begin uh, to build out our youth space. I would love for the, by the time 2018 ends that our youth space is finished. So that's not this year, but next year that that's finished. And we have a designated place for our students that's completed, okay? The challenge of that, any of the unfinished space. So if you've ever been in the unfinished space, you go, man, that's a big space. The challenge of the unfinished space is going to be similar to this space is that uh, we're going to need to replace the HVAC over there for each space we build out. And that's the big, big cost, okay? Uh, in fact, you're all ready to gasp, okay? To put HVAC on this half cost about $450,000. Everybody guess. Okay, so that's, what, so that's what we're looking at as we build out over there, okay? Is that's the really big cost. It's not just the electrical and the plumbing and the drywall and the sprinkler, whatever, all the stuff it takes, okay? So, uh, so that's that, okay? Um, so that's kind of some vision. Now, 2017, here we are, ready, new year. We've got some changes coming, and I know people, we love change, right? Change is always really easy, um, just tongue-in-cheek. So here we go, all right, a couple changes coming our way. Super Bowl Sunday is fe- February the 5th, and uh, those of you who like to take notes, some of this is in your bulletin. The biggest change we have coming in 2017 is we're going to move to three services, all right? Um, we have, uh, for those of you who have been around me a long time, you know I've said this in the past, uh, we've been 70% full in our two services. So sociologically, if you're 70% full, that means you're full. I mean, if you look around this morning, we're probably over 70% full with chairs and children's ministry and things like that. And so, uh, and so we really need to move the three services to have space for our guests that want to check out Coastal. And so our three service times are going to be 8, 9.30, and 11, okay? 8, 9.30, and 11. So here's the ask, okay? So I want to ask you guys a favor, okay? The first thing I need, I need about 150 of you to commit to being a part of the 8 o'clock service. So if you're an early bird, and you're like, oh, man, I love that idea. I got to kind of get in, get out, get on my day kind of thing. Uh, man, would you, write, would you let me know that on the tear-off and kind of say, hey, me and my wife or me and myself, you know, whatever. Put that in the offering plate a little bit later in the service. And we want to kind of get a head count. Now, if you make that commitment, it doesn't mean that if you have family in town and they want to come to the 11 o'clock service, you can't come, you know, one week. I'm just, I'm just trying to get a critical mass at the 8 o'clock. Make sense, everybody? Okay, so if you can make that commitment, let me know that. All right. Second thing we need. This is the most difficult thing about going to three services. What do you think the most difficult thing is? Anybody know? You guys are smart. Volunteers, correct. That, that's coming from volunteers, okay? So uh, they know. They're probably in charge of getting volunteers. Okay, so volunteers, right? And so the biggie is our children's ministry, all right? That one is always, we always can use volunteers in our children's ministry. Um, that area has been growing. Part of the reason we're going to three services is that area has been maxed out. We have so many kids, which is fantastic for the future of the church and for the gospel. Uh, so we need volunteers. In fact, in our children's ministry, if you're thinking about volunteering there, uh, we do a background check. So we make sure our children are safe. So be praying about that. But we also need volunteers in, in our ushers, our greeters, our coffee, our parking team, uh, the connect desk or the welcome desk. We need people there. So, so if you're not volunteering, you're kind of new to Coastal, you started coming over the fall. Listen, we want you to be a part of the ministries of Coastal. Let us know that. You can use the tariff. Hey, I'm interested in volunteering for. And if it's something I just listed, be specific. Okay. Uh, third thing that we're going to be doing, uh, second thing that changes coming 
uh, on Super Bowl Sunday is we're going to be adding a fourth and a fifth grade ministry. Okay, so we're going to be taking the fourth and fifth graders uh, out of the children's department. We're going to be doing something that's really targeted to that age group. That's kind of an in-between age group, and we're very excited about that. I introduced you a couple weeks ago to Andrew Wilson and his fiance, now his wife, and they'll be here next week, and they're going to get started with us since the Super Bowl fun- Sunday, fourth and fifth grade, which also means we're going to be changing around the children's room. I have no idea how they're going to be changing around. We want to maximize that space. So you parents that are used to dropping off in a certain room, we want to make sure we're maximizing the space. So you may see some changes there. All right. Fourth change. Y'all keeping up? I'm throwing them out. I'm just getting it out. I'm just it's like vomiting out the changes. Here we go. Okay. Um, it's a terrible word picture. All right. So um, fourth change. We are going to be moving the offering in our service. Okay. And so at Coastal, we feel uh, very strongly that the offering is an act of worship. It's an opportunity to worship the Lord with giving and generosity. One of the things that has surprised us, or I guess it's just a fact, is in the new building, in order to take up the offering in a timely manner, it's taken a ton of volunteers. And so what we've discovered is, as we're wrapping up the service your hearts are engaged with the word. There's kind of spiritual business going on in your hearts and minds. It takes about 25 people to kind of get up and start moving around. And it's been a little bit distracting. And so we're going to move the offering time to the front of the service so that we can end the service by singing and prayer. And, hey, you can head back to the prayer chapel. Just a little more silence at the end of the service to us so we can reflect on the word of God, right? Does that make sense to you guys? Hopefully it does. And so, and so it really, and, and all these things, we always try them and say, hey, if it's working, it's working. If it's not working, it's working. No working, but uh, you guys are always good with change. So just that's coming on February the 5th as well. Fifth change is I am changing the pew Bible. I know we don't have pews and I didn't know what else to call it. Okay, so uh, and so I have been for 17 years using the NLT. Uh, I'm going to be changing to the ESV. Um, and so there's two groups of people here. There's a lot of people like, why are you telling this us this? I don't care. And then there's a lot of groups like, what? You know, like, what's wrong with the NLT? Nothing's wrong with the NLT. And this is really, really practical. Again, it has to do with size. Okay, we have a big building. To refill all the Bibles is costly. Uh, for me, this was the biggest part of the decision. Other people, my staff thought otherwise. But, uh, you know, so we found some great ESV Bibles. They're a lot more inexpensive. And so, you know, what, one, one of the things I always say when, at the beginning of the service, hey, if you don't own a Bible, what? What do, you, what do I say? Take one with you, okay? And so we want to provide a good Bible. We're actually going to have a really nice ESV Bible that will be at the Connect Center that if someone really wants a brand new, nice, nice Bible, we're going to offer that. Okay? Make sense? All right, good. Final thing. Here we go. Student ministry. All right, we're changing our student ministry. We're going to have big group, small group. Okay, Wednesday night, big group. We're changing the time. It's from 7 to 8. It's going to be one hour. All right, so if, you want to, if your kids are used to getting here at 6.30, youth room's open at 6.30, come on up. There's a lot of things for them to do now with our new space. And, and, uh, but the actual time of the student ministry is going to be from 7 to 8. And then small groups are going to be right here starting tonight, okay, from 5 to 6.30. And, and they're going to do very much like we do as adult service. They're going to be breaking up the small groups, discussing what was taught on Wednesday night. And uh, it's going to be age and, and gender graded, right? So you'll have middle school girls, high school girls, middle school boys, high school boys. we got great leaders. They're going to break up in small groups right here Sunday night, 5 to 6.30. So parents, get your students here. It's a great, great time. Oh, okay, here we go. Good. You guys, everybody good? All right, let's turn to Philemon. I'm going to be doing a three-part series out of Philemon. If you can't find Philemon, all right, uh, First and Second Timothy, Titus, 
Philemon, all right? It's the smallest letter in the New Testament. If you have the Pew Bible, it's page 726. The letter is so small in your Pew Bible, they didn't even give it a page number, okay? You have to search to find the page number. So 726, and if you've ever wondered, um, man, how did they lay out the New Testament? Well, the letters written by the Apostle Paul are actually laid out by size, believe it or not. Romans being the biggest, all the way to Philemon being the smallest. And, uh, and so we're going to be looking at Philemon, and, uh, and I'm, I'm going to heavy on you right out of the gate this morning. Okay, so no funny story or whatever, but I, I, just, I want you to feel the weight and the importance of this small letter. And it, it's, it's vitally important to our journey with Christ. Did you ever wonder how in, 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 a, in a room this size, and I don't know how many people are here this morning, I bet you it's near 700 people in the room this size. I wonder, do you ever wonder, like, how do we all get along, right? I mean, there's, there's so much diversity in this room. There's so many walks of life. There's cultural diversity. There's upbringing diversity. There's, there's economic diversity. There's so much diversity in this room. I mean, how in the world do we get along? And the gospel of Jesus Christ commands us that we work together uh, in unity for the cause of the gospel. We work together so that Jesus Christ and his fame can be lifted up so that people will both know the abundant life of the freedom in Christ as well as the eternal life that is offered in Christ. I mean, think about the diversity here. I'm going I'm to start out kind of silly, but then I'm going to get serious because we really, if we can't work together in the church, then the culture has no hope. I mean, think about it in this room. I mean, there's sitting in this room, maybe just a few chairs away from you, there are Ohio State fans and there's Michigan fans. you got to work together for the cause of the gospel, right? It's probably, it's probably a Cowboys fan right down the row from you, Redskins fans. Like, what are you going to do with that? And the stinking Steelers fans, they wear yellow and gold everywhere, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. There are some of you in this room that you swear if you're not watching Fox News, you ain't getting the news because it certainly ain't on CNN, right? <laughs> and then there's CNN watchers sitting here going, I'm offended by that. That hurts my I can't come back to this church, right? <laughs> there are people in this church that voted for Trump, and there are people in this church that voted for Clinton. It's a fact. In fact, if you think I don't know, I know. I know these things. God tells me. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There, there, could, there could be someone in this room that you did business with. You did business for them and they didn't repay you. And you're wondering, man, I'm, I'm never going to see that money. They call themselves a Christian. There could be someone in this room that you, you lent money to and there, there was a business deal. There was a contract transaction and and they, they, their business went under with the money you lent them. And you're like, I'm never going to see that money again. And you're just sitting a few rows away from them. And you're wondering, man, how in the world do I do church with them? There's police officers in this room that love the Lord and love this church. And you might be sitting just a few rows away from somebody you arrested. And they threatened you at that moment. And now you're sitting here and you're like, how do, how do we get along? 
Ready for it to make you really uncomfortable? There's police officers in this room. They're sitting just a few rows away from some African Americans that are struggling in their hearts with peace, respect, and justice for the law force, right? That's happening. That's happening right here in this room. And if we can't figure it out here, how in the world are they going to figure it out out there, right? If we can't figure out how to work together for the cause of the kingdom and mutually honor and mutually respect, it's not going to be figured out out in the culture. In fact, I think one of the reasons the culture's struggling so hard with these things is we inside the church haven't figured it out yet. In fact, you might be sitting in this room and you're a cultural minority and you're sitting right next to a Caucasian American, and you're wondering, do they know the pain I've had growing up with racial tensions? They ever thought about that? Yet we're called by Christ to serve together. You may be sitting here this morning, and you, you know, it's the new year, and you made a resolution, I'm going to get myself back in church, but the truth is, the reason you've struggled with that is in your past, there was a church or a church leader that hurt you or violated your trust, and you're sitting here this morning, you're like, yeah, I've got this kind of this tension going on, like, I'm here, but man, how do I reconcile these things? You could be sitting here this morning and there's someone that is reconnecting with God through the gospel of Christ, but you remember them from years gone by and how they hurt you and they violated you at such deep levels. You are struggling with what in the world are they doing here this morning? So how in the world are we to work together for the cause of the gospel? Man, Philemon is a great book about this, okay? Philemon's a great book. It's the shortest book in in the New Testament. There's a reason it's in the New Testament. It's to teach us as a church, very practically, how in the world do we get along together for the cause of the gospel when we walk and come together with such different paths entering this room together this morning. And so it's one of the smallest books of the New Testament. I want to take a moment here and give it a little context, okay? I want to give a little context But my hope this morning is that this will encourage us as Christians to consider two very important things. Ready? Forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation. And by the way, I'm going to bring this personally to you at the end, okay? We're going to come full circle. It's going to become personal to you. Because a lot of times when I'm, and during the sermon, I'm going to use the word church, right? And church to me, and when I use that word, I think a lot of us process it the way I pro- we process the word government, right? Government. Well, the government will pay for it. I would say, who's the government? That means I'm paying for it. Okay? That's what it means. It means you and I, when you pay your taxes, you're paying for it. Right? The church, we think it's some entity out there. No, if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the church. So if the church is going to bring forgiveness and reconciliation, it means you are going to be a person of forgiveness and reconciliation. Yes? And so I'm going to bring this personal by the end this morning. So here's the context, okay? This is a great, great little letter, man. It's so interesting, uh, especially what you understand in the context. The Apostle Paul is in chains. He's imprisoned, probably in Rome, because of the gospel. He's a Christian. He's been teaching the gospel. He's been imprisoned. 
He, when he was free, planted a church in a city called Colossae, and he led a man to the Lord by the name of Philemon, and Philemon was a wealthy man, and he is now probably housing this house church in his house. In fact, we have another letter called Colossians. It's possible, we don't know for sure, it's possible that when Paul sent this person, Onesimus, to Philemon with this letter called Philemon, it's possible he actually sent the, word, the, the book that we call Colossians as well. It's possible that Onesimus was carrying both letters to this man named Philemon. And so Philemon is a wealthy man, and he has slaves, and one of his slaves is a slave by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus has probably, we're not sure, but probably stolen from Philemon, escaped, and then he gets to Rome, and he runs into the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul leads him to Christ, and through their developing relationship, realizes that Onesimus belongs to his friend Philemon, and Paul now, as an apostle, has to figure out, man... How do I get these two to get along? And what does forgiveness and, and what does restoration and reconciliation look like? And so now he's in chains and he's led Onesimus to Christ and he's led Philemon to Christ and he's mentoring both of these men to walk in Christ. And he writes this letter. And so Paul, what he does in Philemon is he leverages his relationship with Philemon and he encourages Philemon to take back Onesimus without the retribution that the Roman law would have allowed for a slave owner to a slave. Okay. You ready for me to tackle the elephant in the room? What in the world does the Bible say about slavery, right? I mean, it's a, it's a huge scar in our culture, right? And so it's like, what does the Bible say about it? That's the elephant in the room. In fact, in American history, some churches, not all, have used this letter to say that slavery is morally okay. Because Paul is a little murky. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about slavery, actually. And we would like him to. We'd like him to say, well, you, you know, Philemon, you know that owning slaves is not okay. He doesn't say that. And we'd like him to. Now, so here's the deal, ready? I'm going to whet your appetite. I'm going to deal with the elephant next week. All right? So, so need a week to pray about it. No, no, no. Actually, the snowstorm kind of messes up. This being MLK weekend, I was going to deal with it this week, okay? But in, in, the reason I want to deal with it next week is I think it fits nicely in the verses that we're covering next week. Okay? Does that make sense? And so I'm going to, I'm going to cover it next week. So for those of you who are like, I can't even hear a word you're saying until this is dealt with, just kind of be mature enough to back it in the back of your mind. We're going to cover it next week. Make sense? Everybody with me? You can stay with me. Here we go. All right? And so we're going to deal with that. And what does the Bible say about that? Because in the, but I want to come back to the broader context here. The broader context is how does the church of Jesus Christ function together when we come from different worldviews and different upbringings and different paths? And here we are this morning under this roof in corporate worship. And so this letter is very personal. And by the way, those of you who are in leadership at Coastal Community Church, small group leader, you lead a ministry, you're an elder, you're on staff here. I'm going to tell you something. I, I've been doing this a long time alongside a couple of my elders. And there are times that you come across relational issues that are so difficult that you spend hours thinking about them and praying about them. And, and so it's a book like Philemon that does give us a little insight because you've got to go, man, I, I'm trying to figure out how all this messes together for forgiveness and reconciliation. What does that look like? And this, for Paul, I think was messy. Like, man, I, you know, 
What do I, how do I encourage these two men that are now brothers in Christ to, to, to forgive and reconcile and work together? And so I thought, man, what a great way to start the new year. You want to know why I think this is a great way to start the new year? Here we go. I'm going to give you a little taste of how we're going to conclude this morning. I suspect, I suspect that every one of us in this room has a relationship in our lives right now that could use some attention this year. Yes? I suspect every one of us in this room has a relationship because, you know what, I probably need to think about it. Forgiveness? I need to think about reconciliation. And so if we're the church, again, I'm preaching with the assumption you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not, that's another sermon for another day. But I hope you'll catch the heartbeat of Coastal that because we love Christ, we want to be reconciling, we want to be forgiving to the world around us. Okay, So I, I suspect every single one of us has somebody in this room that this sermon applies to. In fact, if, if I'm a betting man... I would say a majority of us are sitting right here, right now, with a name in our mind. I need to go talk to that person. Number one, here we go. Three points about how we get started in forgiveness and reconciliation. The first thing Paul says is prayer. Pray. Start with prayer. If you've got broken relationships and they need to be reconciled and forgiven and restored, I want you to pray. Paul says this in, in, in Philemon, verse 4. I always thank my God when I pray for you. Let me ask you something. How often do you pray for others? I mean, how often do you really pray for others? You know, in, in, in my car... I have, I have my others list. I even brought it. I, I, I brought it for special effect. Here it is. Very, very formal. See, legal pad, right? This is my others list. It's got family others. It's got children others. It's got some others on here that, to my knowledge, they don't know Christ as Savior. It's got others that I have served with on the mission field, including some of the missions in your, that you're passionate about. It's got, it's got my coastal others. It's got my elders others. It's got my executive team others. It's got my staff. It's got my extended family. It's got my small group. It's got the three guys I'm investing in specifically. You know, it's got my others. And so I pray for them, and I pray for them when I'm, you know, when, when Mike and Mike is getting boring. I just turn it off. I'm like, you know, and I, they're, they're not making it. They're not talking about Seattle this morning, whatever. So I turn it off, and I just use the car time, and I pray. Sometimes I pray for the person in front of me that's doing 10 miles on their speed limit. I'm like, it's the big pedal on the right. Push that one, Lord. Let them push that pedal so we can get to work on time. You know, it's time to pray behind that person on the way to church this morning. Anyway, um, praying for others on the way here. But Paul says, finally, even I'm praying for you, and if we want forgiveness and we want reconciliation, the starting point is to pray. And in fact, Jesus taught us, okay, that we should be praying for the people that we don't like. I want you to see what Jesus taught in Matthew 5. This is, by the way, this is, if you were to go, if I were to drop you in Middle Eastern culture right now, this teaching of Jesus is radical. Even today, 2,000 years later in Middle Eastern culture. Jesus in Matthew 5, 43 says, 
you've heard the law that says love your neighbor but hate your enemy. Like that, 2,000 years ago in ancient Near Eastern cult, like that was really what people did. Like you love the people that love you, you love the people that are easy to love, but the ones that aren't so easy to love, it's okay to dislike them and actually hate them. And Jesus said, that's kind of the culture. But I say... Again, you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. You know, I don't even know where you come. Even if you come down with Jesus is just a good prophet, which is a false understanding of Christ. But even if that's where you come down, like this is what he taught. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who do what? So as I was going through the list this morning, and I was maybe putting a finger on a hurt in your life. You're like, yes, that's me. And yes, that's the culture I grew up in. And yes, they don't care. Jesus says the starting point is praying, love them and pray for them. Woo. If I was going to list a percentage of your prayer life, how much of it is praying for me? Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. Right? Lord, if I, safe, soft, easy, and comfortable, man, that'd be great. Or how much of it is praying for your enemies? So next time that hurt bubbles up in your mind and in your heart, let me encourage you, take that as an opportunity. Maybe, maybe that's coming up in you as an opportunity to pray. In fact, as we make this personal at the end, I, I want you to, the thing I want you to do this morning, I don't want you to maybe, well, if the Lord prompts you, but my suggestion would be, Let's not make this the week we run and call somebody. Let's make this the week we start with prayer. Let's make this the week as a church we begin to pray for someone that's hurt us. In fact, if you're really daring, I would dare you to pray that God would bless them. <laughs> That'd be a bold move, right? And so Paul says to pray. It starts with prayer. After we pray, Paul now moves to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's, he's really in these first, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. He's really, I'm sorry, uh, 4 through 7. He's really setting Philemon up here for the, the big ask in the next one, right? Where he's going to ask this, recon, this forgiveness and reconciliation with Onesimus. But he's, so he's really setting him up. He says, you need to be praying. I pray for you. Number two, Philemon, here's the gospel of Jesus. You know this. Philemon, verse 5. Uh, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. Uh, coastal, if, if we're going to be a place of forgiveness and reconciliation to all people, two things need to happen. Number one, we need to be engrossed in worship to God through Christ. We need to be captivated by Christ. I'm not talking about just the singing time. That's part of it. I hope you're engrossed, you're passionate in your singing and I've preached sermons. I'm talking about day-to-day life. That every moment is an opportunity to worship Christ. We must love God with all of our hearts. And then when you're engrossed in worship to God through Christ, here's what begins to happen in your heart and in your mind and in your thinking. You begin to hate the things that God hates. And so since God hates sin, you begin to hate the sin in your own life. And you begin to hate injustice. And then you begin to love the things that God loves. And guess what? God loves people. 
I was thinking about this this morning as I was going, driving behind a person below the speed limit. God loves that person. And he does. And it changes the way I pray. And so he, Paul says, finally, when you, you have faith in the Lord. You have faith in the Lord Jesus. So again, if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, that your faith is in the Lord is rooted in understanding the gospel, which is rooted in the idea that God has forgiven you, yes? It's rooted in the idea that if I have an unforgiving spirit, if I have bitterness that penetrates my heart, I have forgotten how much I have been forgiven. And so I need to spend more time un- praying and meditating, thinking about the gospel. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, the Apostle Paul says, instead... Which, by the way, I don't have the other, I don't for, verse 31, instead of what, right? Instead of speaking poorly, instead of speaking with angerness and bitterness and slander. Instead, Paul says, be kind to each other, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has what, church? Forgiven you. See, to offer forgiveness means you have to understand forgiveness. You, you have to understand where you're standing has been the presence of the Holy God. So, so Paul is saying, Philemon, before I make this ask about reconciliation and forgiveness, I want you to consider the gospel. And I've heard about your faith. And I know that you understand that, that my sin and my rebellion and my disobedience, and it makes me consider that when Jesus, that Jesus Christ, when he was hanging on the cross, he bore the punishment for my rebellion. Woo! There goes the stuff, man. Sorry about that. When I, forgive, when I consider that God has forgiven me as far as the east is from the west, when I consider 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and he is what? That's very important, by the way. That's why the death of Christ is so important. God didn't just wave his hands and forgive sin. There was a payment for my sin. God is both faithful, he's faithful because he's true to his word, that if I confess my sin, it's going to be forgiven. But he's also just that my sin was paid for by the person and work of Jesus Christ. He, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Therefore, because the gospel of Jesus Christ has captured my heart and God has been so freely forgiving with me, how dare I be anything less than forgiving to others? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, 70 times 7. How many times should I forgive? Seven times? Back then, that was kind of like, man, you were super generous with your forgiveness. It was seven times. Jesus said, no, 70, 70 times seven. Which, by the way, let me, let me say this. Um, giving, granting forgiveness doesn't mean that we don't take reasonable and appropriate precautions going forward. So, Assuming that Onesimus stole from Philemon. Let's say he was in charge of the money. He stole from Philemon. He ran away. When Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, I think that it would be reasonable for Philemon to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to kind of take you off financial duty for a while. Okay, while we reestablish some trust. That's reasonable. That's, that's not unforgiving. That's a win-win for both parties. Forgiveness, I want you to hear this, this is very important. Forgiveness is about letting go of bitterness and understanding that God, in his complete and perfect wisdom, understanding that God, in his complete and perfect 
knowledge. Understanding that God in his complete and perfect love. Understanding that God in his complete and perfect wrath. Understanding that God in his complete and perfect mercy. Understanding that God in his complete and perfect judgment will take care of justice perfectly in his timing. Forgiveness means I can let go of justice. God's going to take care of that. I don't need to seek justice for the wrong done to me. I'm, I'm releasing that peace to God, and I'm choosing to be tenderhearted as Paul commands us as a church. And so Philemon is reminded, hey, I've heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if, we, if we're gospel-centered, if we're following Christ, that means we love what God loves. And what does God love? Well, God loves people. And so he says, Philemon, I'm reminded of your love for people, which is essentially the great commandment. By the way, I have very little to preach on week in and week out. Did you know that? Because Jesus summed it all up in this, right? He was once asked, sum it all up. What did he say? Matthew 22, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Then he said the second one is like, it's so close, I can't even uncouple them, right? They're coupled together. You must love your neighbor as your... If you're here this morning and you're having struggles in your marriage, love God, be connected to God, committed to God, worship God with all that you are, and then love your neighbor. And you want to know who your neighbor is? Your spouse. That's your closest one. Start there. Right? Be tenderhearted. Walk in their shoes. And by the way, the person in your life that's, that's getting on your nerves and driving you nuts, maybe that person's there for you to conform you more and more into the image of Christ. And so Paul says, man, you, the gospel, and then you, when the gospel penetrates our hearts, we love what God loves, we love others. Finally this, okay? If we're going to have reconciliation and forgiveness, we're going to pray, we're going to meditate on the gospel of Christ. We're going to remember, be mindful of how much we've been forgiven. And then we're going to love what God loves. We're going to love others. And then Paul, kind of setting up Philemon for next week's sermon, he says, then we live a generous life as an overflow of the gospel. We live a generous life as an overflow of the gospel. Philemon 6 and 7, Paul says, by the way, verse 6, and for those of you who are like super smart, uh, verse 6 is actually one of the hardest verses to translate in the Bible. So if you have different um, translations here, they're all over the map because it's a very difficult Greek phrase, okay? So, but here's how the NLT translates it in Philemon verse 6. He says, I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Here I setting him up. Hey, you have this faith, and now you got to put it into action. Sounds a little bit like James. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. And so he says, I want you to put into action this generosity. Okay, the idea here is actually the Greek word here that has been translated, put into action your generosity, is the Greek word fellowship. 
okay? That's your blank, fellowship. Now, if you're new to church life, okay, you're going to hear people running around the church, and sometimes they're going to use this word, koinonia. If you're new to it, you're like, what? What is that? Right? We do weird. By the way, Christian, if you've been a long-time Christian like I have, right, you've grown up in the church, like we do some really weird things for people who haven't grown up in the church. So just be cautious of that. Like I was listening to a song the other day on Caleb, and in the chorus you were singing out, Yahweh, Yahweh. I'm like, most people are like, what on earth does that mean? Okay, that's the Hebrew word for God, all right? But we're sliding in our songs. We're singing half the time. We don't know what it means, right? Koinonia is the Greek word for fellowship. And what churches have done, they've taken the Greek word, and we do it, and we put it on T-shirts, and no one knows what we're talking about. Okay, so fellowship. The, the idea here, this is a beautiful picture. I want you to get this, okay? The idea of the word fellowship is that we partner together for the good of the gospel. I want you to think about that. I want you In fact, look around the room. Look around the room. Look at all the diversity in this room. Age, race, economic. Like, we need each other to partner together for the good of the gospel. Church, I, I mean, this is a cell. Like, one of the things I'm so proud of Coastal, what I just shared at the beginning, like, we raised almost $970,000 over and above our regular giving. No, I don't think, if you're, if you're, what I'm about to say is untrue and you want to come talk to me afterwards, let me know. But I don't think anybody in this room had the, the, the resources to say, hey, Pastor John, here's the million dollar check. Now, if you have that and you want to come talk to me, I'm available, okay? We'll meet in the prayer chapel, we'll pray about it, and praise the Lord. We'll move forward. But, but we partner together for the good of the gospel. Everybody, I use the phrase, not equal giving, but equal sacrifice for the good so that we could be in a place in the center of the peninsula where the gospel could go forward. It took everybody to be a part of that. It's partnering together for the good of the gospel. The first kind of picture we get of this is in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's the new church. The apostles are leading this new church. Okay, Christ has ascended into heaven. And, and here we have this great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And, and in, in Acts 2, verse 42, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the share. And there's that word koinonia, to the fellowship and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper and the prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them. The apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything they had. They even sold their property and their possessions, and they shared the money with those in need, and they worshiped together at the temple each day, and they met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and what? Generosity. Generosity is the overflow of a changed heart. And what you see here is this, in this genuine fellowship, there's a, there's a spirit of generosity, and it's this generosity in things as they're sharing their stuff, and it's a generosity in time as they meet together, and it's a generosity of financial resources. There's just a spirit of generosity. That baby's like, why is he yelling? And so I don't know, but... <laughs> And so we partner together for the good of the gospel. And Paul, in some of your translations, it literally says, and this makes the gospel good and effective. And so he's setting Philemon up for the restoration of this broken relationship, but he's like, it flows out of a spirit of fellowship, which is a spirit of generosity. And I want to tell you something. I, like, like, I always say this, like, how do you know when you have love? How do you know when you have unity? Like, it's really hard to define. You just kind of know it when you see it, right? You kinda, it, has, it passes the sniff test. 
I think one of the ways you know if you have love and kindness and generosity, uh, uh, kindness and unity, is when there's this overflow of generosity of time, talent, and treasure. When that's the overflow, that's when you have these other things. I really believe that. And so Paul says, man, finally, I'm going to remind you of your generosity for our love for God is clearly displayed. And he says, and so finally, in verse 7, he says, so your love for God is clearly displayed by how you are around others. And how is Philemon around others? He brings joy and he brings comfort. I think these are your blanks. He brings kindness. He's refreshing to be around. And I, by the way, I hope you have that person in your life that's refreshing to be around. Do you have one of those people? I have a couple of them, right? Whenever I'm around those people, I want to be a person that's refreshing to be around. I think it's an overflow of the gospel. And so Paul's setting up Philemon for his ask. Some of you in this room, you've been wronged. In fact, everybody in this room has been wronged. It's the nature of living in a sinful culture. One of the things I say at our membership class is Coastal is not a perfect church. If you're coming from a church where your feelings got hurt, your feelings are going to get hurt here. The biggest problem, Coastal starts with the pastor. He's imperfect and it just works its way down, okay? Or up, however you want to view it. Your feelings are going to get hurt. All of us have had an injustice, varying degrees, but all of us have had an injustice. And if the gospel of Christ can't heal these wounds, then what's going to change in our culture? If it can't happen here, how is it going to happen out there? I want to finish with a story. It's a church history story. Many years ago in church history, in the very early church, there was a man that was very antagonistic to the church. This man was on the front lines of church persecution. If he found out that you, there was a group of believers meeting and he could get there, he would bust into that group of believers, much like we're meeting here on Sunday morning. He would, he would bust in and he would, he would drag Christians to jail because they were Christians. He would have those Christians beaten because they were Christians. There's even times where he was a part of making sure that those Christians were put to death because they were Christians. But then God, in his infinite wisdom and his infinite grace and his infinite mercy, saved this man. This man became a believer. This man became a follower of Jesus Christ. And he was so radically different that he rose up in church leadership and he became a pastor and a church planner. In fact, this man, he was so used by God that he wrote letters that went all across the known world where churches were planted. And these letters became the scriptures that the church used to talk about Christ. Anybody know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about Apostle Paul. Now I want you to imagine something for a minute. 
Like, we take that really lightly. I want you to imagine something for a minute. I want you to imagine you're sitting in your little church group meeting, and here the Apostle Paul comes in, and now maybe you were a child, and now you're an adult, and in comes the Apostle Paul, and you go, man, I remember when he showed up to our little group gathering, and he drug my dad out and had him beat to death. I remember that. How would you respond to his preaching that morning? Or you're sitting in a church and you were a child, now you're grown up and you're like, I remember when my family got separated and we're going to read his letter as the sermon this morning? you got to be kidding. So here's my question. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ really that transformative? What if the word on the street this year in Yorktown and Newport News and Hampton and Pocosin and Gloucester, maybe Williamsburg and Suffolk, was like, hey, that, that church called Coastal, that church called Coastal, that's a place where, where people are loving and kind and refreshing. That's a place where people are forgiven. That's a place where people get second chances regardless of the past. That's a place where if you walk in, man, it's a refreshing place to be because the people there, man, they, they, they just love you in your starting point. It's a church that takes seriously being known, being made new by Christ. Let me ask you something. Would that be a transformative church? Anybody? Absolutely, that would be a transformative church. I mean, that's, that's the church I long for Coastal to be. And so if that's the church that we want to be, and the church isn't some entity out there, the church is you, let me ask you this. Who do you need to forgive this year and reconcile with? Whew. That's where the rubber meets the road. Because if we want to be that church, it starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with you. It starts with me. May the overflow of the gospel be so transformative that to the best of our ability, we make relationships right for the good of the gospel and the glory and fame of Christ. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. Listen, let's... As I was preaching and I was asking, man, who do you need to work on forgiving? Who do you need to reconcile with? And my suspicion was every single one of us had a name that God brought to our heart and to our mind. Let's take a moment this morning and just pray silently. Let's start with prayer. Start by asking the Lord to grant you a spirit of forgiveness and love and kindness towards that person.
Ask the Lord to give you wisdom for the hurts in your own life. Wisdom on how to process those and deal with those and be forgiving of those. Ask the Lord to use that person to bless that person and use that person to bring great glory to the name and fame of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I pray that this would be a place where the culture looks at Coastal Community Church and sees people from all walks of life that we would reflect every tribe, tongue, and nation. We would reflect every socioeconomic background. God, that we would come in here from so many walks that the culture would look at us as a church and scratch their heads wondering how in the world have they figured it out to work together in unity and to love one another so that as a church we could point them to the one who has forgiven us much so that we could point the world to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.